As David Wiley has noted, disposable assignments often have small impacts on student learning. In this episode, we discuss how one campus has used ePortfolios to create authentic learning experiences in their English composition courses. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning. This podcast series is hosted by John Kane, an economist, and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer, and features guests doing important research and advocacy work to make higher education more inclusive and supportive of all learners. Our guest today is Nikki Wilson-Clasby. Nikki is the coordinator of the English Composition Program at SUNY New Paltz. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Our teas today are... Nikki, are you drinking tea? I am certainly drinking tea. Yes. Would you like to know what it is? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So this is an exotic blend called Tetley, a very strong British brew, which we Brits love, unless you're a PG Tips fan, but Tetley's pretty up there. And I have it with 2% milk, which is the best way to drink it. Most of our colleagues on campus from England tend to drink Yorkshire Gold. Mm -hmm. They seem to prefer that to the other options. Yes, well, I am a Yorkshire lass, but I have to say Tetley has that kick that I need. (laughs) Good to know. I think today I have Scottish afternoon tea. Oh, and continuing with the theme, I have an Irish breakfast tea from Twinings. Oh, very nice. That's a good one, too. I like that one. This crew needs some strong stuff today. We need some scones now, (laughs) but it will be complete. We're recording this at 1230 today, and I've already had five meetings today, including a class. This is my second pot. I'm impressed. (laughs) You can come and have tea with me any day. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So we've invited here today to discuss the use of e-portfolios in the composition program at SUNY New Paltz. But first, can you tell us a little bit about your role at New Paltz? Yes, I am the coordinator of the composition program. I stepped into this role two years ago, and I am also a lecturer. And so I teach mainly our upper-level writing and rhetoric courses, where I specialize in visual rhetoric. And I also teach courses in what we call practical writing and design, which is a new course dealing with a sort of blend of graphics and writing. And I also teach a FIG, a first-year interest group for the communication disorders. And I run practicum for RTAs. So you're not busy or anything? I'm not busy at all, no. (laughs) Plenty of time for drinking tea. (laughs) And plenty of reason to drink that tea with the caffeine. Which is why I drink Tetley, yes. (laughs) So we invited you here, though, because we heard about the common use of a WordPress site for the creation of student e-portfolios. And I think the first question we have to ask is, how did you possibly get agreement within a department on the use of one platform? <laughs> Actually, it's pretty simple. There's no drama involved here. So in 2019, the Composition Committee reworked our three-credit English 180 Composition 2 course to a four-credit GE course, which we retitled English 170 Writing and Rhetoric. And we have been using print portfolios for a long time. And so during the process of revamping our course, the Composition Committee reviewed how we could improve our portfolio assessment. And Matt Newcomb, who was the coordinator at the time, and I had been long advocating for e-portfolios. 
so during our meetings, we decided that it would be a good time, seeing as we were revamping this course, to introduce e-portfolios into our curriculum. And we'd looked at options in Blackboard, but they were just too... Awful? <laughs> <laughs> yes, too awful. But just by happenstance and pure serendipitous coincidence, the university at this time decided to just opt for a campus press system and they adopted Hawksites. And so it was made readily available for us to use. And so the timing was perfect. We just jumped on it right away and said, yes, this is what we want. This is the way we're going to go. So because Matt and I had been advocating for ePortfolios for so long, it was pretty simple to get our program on board with the project. And we should note that the Hawks are the campus mascot for SUNY New Paul's and that Hawksites is just a campus-wide instance of WordPress, I believe. It is, yes. That's exactly what it is. We just gave it the name Hawksites. Yes, it's a campus brace, university blogging website and e-portfolio tool. Our students developing these in this more beginning course and then working on the same portfolio throughout their entire curriculum? Well, this is what's really interesting. So the faculty are allowed to use the e-portfolios as a tool for however they want to integrate it into their program. So they have free reign to do whatever they want with it. And we all use it in different ways and to different degrees, depending on our comfort level with technology and how it fits into our curriculum. But as a composition program, we use the e-portfolios for assessment purposes. So I can tell you a little bit about how that is organized. So whereas we can have free reign to use them however we want, we do have some very specifics that we need for our assessments. Would you like me to tell you about those? Love to hear about those. <laughs> okay. So for English 160, which is the basic very first writing course, students have to go through this e-portfolio assessment at the end of the semester to determine whether or not they are fit to move on to English 170. So this is the tool that we use to make sure those students are ready for the more vigorous program. So for that 160 assessment process, the students have to upload to the e-portfolio or at least be able to visibly show on the e-portfolio. They have to have two of their strongest assignments and they also have to have the revisions for those assignments. They can choose whichever ones they want to put on, but they have to be two major assignments. The only requirement is that they have to show that they have been able to write in different modes, different genres for different rhetorical situations. And there needs to be an element of research in their citation, you know, the beginning stages of that research process. And obviously, we'll be looking for the standard of their writing as well. That's why the revision aspect is really important. So that's what they're required to do for the e-portfolio. And then the 170 students, they have different requirements. But let me just backtrack just for one second. So across the board for 160 and 170, as part of the e-portfolio requirements, all the students have to create a reflective cover letter that goes up front in their e-portfolio. They write that reflective cover letter at the end of the semester and we give them questions, guidelines as to what to tackle. And what we want from them is a sort of critical overview of their progress during the course. And they have to cite examples of their writing to prove their case. So it's a persuasive letter and our assessors read that first. So they'll read that reflective cover letter and that gives us a very clear sense of what the student understands about their writing process. And that makes us feel a little bit better about whether they're ready for 170 or not. It shows that they're applying the techniques and skills that they've learned throughout the semester to that cover letter. So the 170 students, we have a very specific framework for our 170 writing and rhetoric program. It's based upon a wicked question. So a wicked question might be, what should we eat? 
or how do we save the world? Or what does it mean to be human in a digital landscape? And all professors could choose whichever kind of wicked question they want that they're excited about. And then they base all of their assignments around that wicked question. That gives us a lot of flexibility for writing and rhetoric, which is wonderful. So the semester is divided into two sections. We basically require two major assignments that are argument research based. And then each of those two large assignments has two smaller assignments that help students gear into those big assignments. So for instance, you might have a proposal with an annotated bibliography that leads to a research paper. So students have to choose one of those sections. So in the ePortfolio, we want to see two smaller assignments leading to a large assignment. We don't need revisions at this stage for 170. We acknowledge that revision is part of the process and that they will be revising anyway for those papers. So that's the structure of the assignment sequences for those two e-portfolios. And then beyond that, we add other things into the e-portfolios as we see fit. So for instance, this semester, we have our internal assessment, which is for our 170 students, and that's on basic critical reading. So that's kind of how our e-portfolios are set up. And then at the end of the semester, we have a system set up where we review each other's e-portfolios based on a common rubric that we have put together. So that's basically how it works. It sounds like a great approach in ensuring standardization across their classes and making sure that all students meet the requirements to move on. It is. It's very effective. We have lots of conversations afterwards about who's on the cusp, borderline cases. And so it's very democratically pieced together. And then, of course, we have to work on individual cases of students who are failing for various reasons. And it's a pretty good system. And it's been very effective over the last two years that we've been using it. This is more of a technical question about the organization. Is each site organized by class or is it by students? In other words, does a student have their own WordPress account that they use and create an e-portfolio that is unique to them across all of their classes? Or is there a class site where all the students in the class post their work? Or is it some combination of the two? So what happens for us is that our composition program, we have a template on Hawk Sites and our students create an account through Hawk Sites and they are given the template that they have to use. So they are essentially creating their own account on Hawk Sites for our classes and it's unique to them. It's not something that we share with other classes. This is specifically for our class. Does that make sense? <laughs> so just to clarify, if a student was in another class in another subject area, they may have an additional site. Correct. Students can create as many accounts as they want on Hawk sites for individual programs. I have about 10. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It's such a good resource. We love it. I'm hosting a variety of WordPress sites as well for different purposes. Me too. One thing I think it's always important to ask when we're talking about e-portfolios is whether or not that student work is public to everyone, public just to members of the community, your classroom community, or are they private or do students have a choice of the privacy settings? The students have a choice of privacy settings, but what we encourage students to do is to select the option that allows only people within our university that have a university ID and login to be able to access it and only the people that the students give the link to or the people that the faculty give the link to. And this allows us to share those e-portfolios amongst the people who are going to be assessing. 
So there is some choice for the students, but it also gives us the option to share easily amongst our colleagues. But I want to add something into this too, that within our template that we had created at Hawk Sites, we have a permissions policy embedded into the site. And that is a basic form and students can sign it. They can say yes or no. We asked the students, would you mind if we shared your portfolio for teaching purposes? Would you mind if we shared some of your work for research or for teaching methods? And students can pick yes or no for all of those. And that's nice to have that there on the ePortfolio. So whenever we're looking for examples, we can check the permissions pledge and see who's agreed and who's not agreed. And then, of course, we respect the students that haven't signed it. So there are some levels of privacy within our cohort of teaching. There is a blog function on our Hawk site. It's up to the professor whether they use the blog or not. But as they stand, the students can't see each other's e-portfolios. Those are private. But there is a blog function within Hawk sites and faculty can choose whether they decide to share that blog function with other students or not. I have used that function for a different project, but I haven't seen anybody take advantage of that because we also have Blackboard, which has its own blog function too. How have students responded to the idea of using ePortfolios? That's a really good question. It very much depends on the instructor and how the instructor teaches the ePortfolio component. I can tell you that for TAs who are new at trying to grapple with this technology and pedagogy, some of them have in the past waited till the very end of the semester to have the students upload their work. It's too stressful for students. They can't handle it. It's a lot of work to put a good portfolio together. So I make the TAs have the students sign up for an account within the first two weeks of the semester. And I encourage the TAs to find ways to get the students to engage with their ePortfolio on a low stakes, non-graded level, just so that they can learn how to use all of the functions and the tools and also get them in the habit of using their ePortfolio as a working kind of document and not something that just gets shoved to the end of the semester. So it really depends on how it's taught. But if you do teach it with those kinds of sensitivities in mind and you don't stress the students out, I find my students in particular love using their ePortfolios. They enjoy engaging with them. They enjoy seeing their work look professional on the site. They enjoy the option of using a more web-based writing process for embedding videos, hyperlinks, uploading images, embedding their beautifully designed Google Slide presentations into their site. So they do enjoy that process. I give them time in class to do it, so it's very therapeutic for them. But they also appreciate learning some of the real-life skills that comes with curating an e-portfolio, and they recognize that this will help them later. So the enthusiasm for it is pretty high. And most students feel very proud of their e-portfolios by the end of the semester because they have something to show for all of their hard work and it looks good. So they've adopted it really well. My worry about students is they do all this work and they hit the submit button for grading and then that paper disappears down the black hole, never to resurface. And then they just move on. And it's a shame because that work is good work. And we want our students to feel like they have a stake in the writing process. They have a stake in scholarship and research. And the ePortfolios provides a really nice platform for allowing them to think of themselves in that respect and not just the humble student that struggles, <laughs> if you like, <laughs> helps them feel a little bit more professional. David Wiley refers to those types of assignments that students post in Blackboard or submit their paper at the end of the term and never see again as disposable assignments. And having something that looks professional that they have access to and that they can share and feel good about is something that 
students really value. I've had students write some books in my class and they really enjoy seeing this final product. It's something that they can share with their friends, with their parents, with potential employers and link to on their resumes and so forth or on LinkedIn. And they've appreciated that tremendously. I think you do some of the same, right, Rebecca? Definitely. The students love it when it's like, it's a real thing, real shareable thing with real audiences. Exactly. And that's the key thing, right? Especially in rhetoric, having that real audience is super, super important. And in my experience, it leads to a much higher quality of work when they have that non-disposable assignment. Have you seen the same? Yes, I totally agree. There's a level of accountability that goes on there. So when you're racing off an essay at the last minute and submitting it, it disappears into the black hole. With the e-portfolio, it comes back to hit you in the face. And you can't put that stuff on the web. You have to go back and revise it. And it's really nice being in the classroom and having the students respond to your comments and make those revisions. And then you kind of hear the penny dropping. It's like, oh boy, I really didn't do this very well. I better snazz this up for the e-portfolio. And it is very reassuring to see that in action. So yeah, it's lovely. So how have other composition faculty responded? Are they all comfortable with it? Was there any resistance? That's a really good question. I know for me, I've been involved in this sort of work for a long time. I came from Iowa State University here and we've been working with e-portfolios for a long time. And that switch going from the paper portfolios, which I hated, (laughs) sorry, I hated them. Going from the paper portfolios to the e-portfolio, that's a big mind switch to go through. So we had to work with our faculty, encourage them to set up a hawk site of their own so they could experiment, help them feel comfortable sharing those hawk sites in the classroom so they could use that as a teaching tool. So initially there was some learning to do and that's great. I mean, that's great. That's fine. Perfect. So it took a while to make that switch to ePortfolios. But now that we've made that switch, I think we all recognize that it's so much more accessible. It's so much easier to organize. It's so much easier to assess. We've only been doing it since the fall of 2019, but I don't hear any complaints about the e-portfolio. It is part of what we do now. So it's good. And that was perfectly timed to be ready for the pandemic. You know, it was perfectly timed for that. And what I like about it, I think what we all agree is we like about it. I encourage the faculty to have the students post the links to the faculty right from the very beginning. So that way we can just go in periodically and we can just monitor what's happening on there. And then we can give direct feedback to students about it. So it is, it's a wonderful tool. One of the things that you've mentioned is this template that you share out and you mention some of the permissions that you allow students to choose Can you talk about some of the other features of the template itself that you share with students? Like what are some of the things built into it? Yes. So the template has the tabs already constructed so that students don't have to work out how to recreate those. Obviously, we teach them how to generate new tabs, but the basics are already there. So it has a homepage tab. So we encourage students to post a photograph of themselves and think about how they want to present themselves to a general audience as a student. So they have that. We work on that side of things. And then we just have the tab for the reflective cover page. Then we have the tabs for the individual assignments and their revisions. And then we have the permissions tab. And then we also include on the ePortfolio, this is a new feature. During the pandemic, we had a lot of issues with attendance and accommodating students who were sick and who were in quarantine. 
So what we did was we posted the essentials of the course policies on the e-portfolio and we had students acknowledge and sign that they had read them and that they understood what those different policies were for attendance, for assignments, for what they needed to do if they were sick. All of those things we put on the e-portfolio site. So it became a quick reference guide for students that they can just pull it up and they could see what was required of them. But also for us as faculty, when students were suffering or not keeping on track or getting to the end of the semester and things were not looking good, we could pull that up. We could see who had signed the pledge and we could say, look, policy said that you needed to do this, this and this and you didn't do those things. And so that helps stem the flow of the grade appeals at the end of the semester, which I have to deal with. So that worked well for keeping students on track and keeping that information transparent and clear. And you have it in writing, digital writing. We have it in writing and the students sign it. So it helps them take accountability for their parts in this process. They can't say, oh, I didn't know about that when it's on the e-portfolio and they've signed it. It's like, "Mm, well, apparently at some point you did read this. So that helps. Not all students read it, of course, but at least it's there though. That's the important thing. Those documents are not buried somewhere else. They're visible. They're right up there. And I think that's really, really important. And I'm really glad that we decided to do that, especially over the pandemic. It's been helpful. And I know I always read all of the terms and conditions when I sign up for a new software package and so forth. Of course we do. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I want to add in there is that for me, some other professors do this too, but I have my students create a writing journal tab in their e-portfolio and they have weekly writing journal prompts in there. And I do that so that students have a safe space just to write and to reflect on what we're doing in class and to apply those ideas to material that they're interested in. And I set that up because I wanted them to feel like they owned their e-portfolio, that it was their e-portfolio, that it was their personal sort of diary, if you like, of all of their work. So that tab is very important for my classes and my students enjoy doing that kind of work. You also mentioned earlier that the work looks professional. So I'm assuming then that there's some stylistic things that are built into the portfolio as well. There's at least a base look for things, no? There is a very basic look. And I would love to be able to include more design tools in the e-portfolio because we don't have a choice of font style. We can move our images around (laughs) to a couple of places. It's very, very rudimentary. And it would be really lovely if we could add a few more tools in there to make it look even better. So everyone in the composition has agreed to use templates, but it sounds like they might use them all differently. Is that correct? Yes. Thankfully, even though the design elements are pretty rudimentary, there are some tools to change the actual overall look within the basic template. The students can change the background image. They can change colors. They can personalize it in a way that suits them, which is really nice. So yes, that's fun. And those are good skills to teach the students as well. What about different sections of the course? Is there standardization in terms of how the platform is used or does that vary from instructor to instructor to some extent? It varies from instructor to instructor, depending on their comfortability with technology and how they want to integrate the e-portfolio into their program. I'm not a standardization sort of person, but we do have the basic elements for assessment are standardized. They have to have those specific elements for assessment. But apart from that, they are free to use those e-portfolios as they wish. And that's the way that I want it to be. One of the things that might be helpful for listeners to Earlier, you were talking about your assessment process and that people from other sections review work, that you're reviewing work of the students of other instructors. 
I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about the logistics of how that actually works, because I think for some folks, it can be such a big undertaking. So hearing stories of how other people organize those sorts of things can be helpful. Yes. So first of all, students have to be eligible for an e-portfolio review. That's the first step. So students have to have completed all of the assignments and all of the requirements, like the library instruction, oral presentation, all of those things. The student has to have at least a D to be able to be eligible. So that sort of weeds out some of the stuff. And then what the faculty do is we take seven portfolios per class. And that's a random selection. So you take the first student on your roster and then every fourth student gets to go in that pile. So each faculty member has seven students randomly selected for e-portfolio assessment. Plus, we have then any student who is borderline, any student that is just clinging on there, or any student that a faculty member is really unsure about. So that goes into the pot too. And then my assistant and I, we create e-portfolio partners and we specifically place for instance, seasoned faculty members with new TAs. And that's the way that we do it. So we choose who assesses whose work. And that makes it a very organized system and a fair system, especially for the new TAs who are not sure about what to do, at least they're working with someone who has experience. So that's how we do it. And the assessments can take place whenever is convenient for that particular pair as long as all of the results are all tabulated and submitted by a specific time period. And then after that time period, we've got some space here to work on e-portfolios that have issues. So once that rudimentary assessment is done, then anything anyone is concerned about can be given to my assistant and I, and we'll go through case by case, any of those borderline cases that we're worried about, we can work on those. So that's kind of how it works. And it's a really good system. It works really, really well. It's very efficient. It's fair for everybody. At the end of the semester, you know, we're tired. The faculty have already been through all of the e-portfolios and given their verdict. And then we double check with those seven to make sure. It's really a calibration thing to make sure that everybody's on the same track. And I need to preface this by saying that all faculty members have to go through a standardized calibration training at two points during the semester. So we make sure that everybody knows how to use the rubric and can apply it effectively. So with those checks and balances, it actually works out incredibly well. Are there standard documents that you share with people and then you see how they evaluate it to compare against the benchmarks for the calibration? Yes, we do. We have a standardized rubric and then during our retreat sessions, we will selectively pick like a very, very borderline portfolio for people to assess. We put people in groups and then we make them grade the e-portfolio with the rubric and then we discuss it and we talk about what's working, what's not working. And if there's any huge discrepancies in the assessment of those e-portfolios, we talk about what was going wrong with those discrepancies. So it's pretty organized and it's pretty efficient. It seems like a really nice way to provide equitable and fair assessments that adhere to the standards that you're trying to meet. I'm impressed. Thank you. We talked a little bit about students needing to meet standards to go through the portfolio assessments. Does that essentially equate to their ability to continue on in that particular program? Yes, it does. If they're not meeting the basic requirements for an e-portfolio review, technically it means they've failed. And so what we do with those students is we then decide how did that student fail? Did they fail on their own merit or did they fail because they tried and tried and tried but just couldn't get it? So we have standardized measures here that says 
okay, so if a student has been trying really hard and they just didn't get it, then we will allow that student to repeat the course. So we have checks and balances there for those students. So this program is used universally in the composition program. Have similar practices been adopted by other departments at New Paul's? I'm ashamed to say I don't know. And the reason for that is because I don't get out much to see. (laughs) That's not uncommon, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, I just don't know. And I feel embarrassed to say that, but I came out of teaching uh, 4-4 load into this position. So that'll be one of my next step projects is to figure out who else is using them on campus and to talk to them about how they're using those e-portfolios. So another thing that is worth considering is you mentioned that students can choose some privacy settings and things. How long do students have access to these portfolios after they've created them? As far as I know, students have it for as long as they're a student. So we've talked about assessment being a primary motivator and maybe some professional skills as being a good motivator for putting e-portfolios in place. But are there other advantages to using student e-portfolios that we should be thinking about? So apart from the e-portfolios for the students being an opportunity to see themselves as a professional communicator to help boost their ethos and their confidence, I think we've talked a lot about what the students get from this. But from a faculty's perspective, the e-portfolios are a fantastic tool because they are so accessible. They're easy to coordinate for assessment. We don't have to wade through buckets and buckets of paper. And also we don't have to, (laughs) I know this sounds like a really minor thing, but when we used to do the paper portfolios, we do the portfolio assessment and then we would call the students in to our offices to break the news to them, whether they've passed or not, and give them their paper portfolio back. A lot of students didn't come. So we ended up with piles and piles and piles of portfolios in our offices. And it's like, well, what do we do with those? I find it really distressing. You know, if you've got four classes and 120 students and every semester and then they just pile up, that was distressing. So to switch to the e-system just feels better on my soul for the planet (laughs) doing this. But the e-portfolios, they're just such a good tool for faculty for teaching, for training other faculty, and for sharing what we do with our students with each other and sharing ideas and seeing what the possibilities are. The e-portfolios just offer so much more potential for pushing what writing and rhetoric is on what we do with it in the classroom. So from a pedagogical point of view, I can't imagine going back to paper portfolios. It's just a fantastically amazing, creative, and soul-satisfying tool to have at your disposal. That's a really nice, positive note to end on. So we always wrap up by asking, what's next? Well, so last summer, my colleague Rachel Wrigley and I used Hawk Sites to develop an online tutor training site because we need more TA tutors in our system to help with the writing program. And that was really successful. And so what we want to do now is to extend that. We would like to develop a Hawk site for our TAs so that we can put all of their innovative teaching ideas into a Hawk site so that it's accessible to everybody for sharing ideas. And that's a really big project. So that's our next big step to do that. Sounds like it'll be really helpful and really exciting to work on. I think so. I think it will be vital. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a really good program and... Thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. To continue the conversation, join us on our Tea for Teaching Facebook page. 
You can find show notes, transcripts, and other materials on tforteaching.com. Music by Michael Gary Brewer. Editing assistance provided by Anna Croyle, Annalyn Smith, and Joshua Vega.